Not long after I submitted my life to the Lord in, in, in Christ Jesus, um, I, I was released from the shame of my life, and so uh, I think it caught people off guard that I would just tell my story. Um, I, w- I would tell people most, most anything about me, um, and what was, what was good about Jesus is he was slowly reconciling all things to himself. In other words... He was bringing me to grips with some things that I couldn't share up front, but I shared later on. But what's interesting that happened to me was suddenly everyone thought I needed to talk to teenagers. I got invited to speak at middle schools. And, you know, at this, I'm not a preacher, I'm just a dude. And um, people, people would say things to me like, I'd like you to talk to my son. Everybody suddenly felt like as a young guy, who was very open about my struggles, that would be a great person to talk to about, to, or to their, their family members, or especially to young people who had some struggles or who might face some struggles. And what became really interesting to me is very early in my walk, I was invited to help chaperone a group to a summer camp. And so I, I did that, and uh, I, I liked it went crazy because we got there, we drove halfway across the state, all the way across the state, and we got there, and the theme of the weekend was Jesus the Rebel. And I, I thought my head was going to explode when I read that, because Jesus, and this might be a newsflash to some of you guys, Jesus was not a rebel. He was not a rebel. And my story to everyone had been was, I am no longer a rebel. I am falling in line with the living God who is the way of life and holiness. And so it, it, the whole weekend just drove me nuts. This speaker, this, this band, you know, they had uh, their socks pulled up over their jeans and they had a smoke machine and, and uh, you know, the lead singer was wearing a beanie. So everything was perfect. <laughs> yeah, the wood chips flying off their guitars, you know. And, and, uh, and this guy kept yelling out, sing with your rebel's heart. And I'm sitting there going, I will not sing with my non-rebel heart. It yeah, it sounds very, I was being rebellious. You picked up on that. I'm tell you what, what bothered me about that is in a world turned very upside down and inside out, then when someone really walks with God like Jesus did, when someone obeys the Father, when someone lives in holiness, it seems revolutionary to people. But in heaven, that's the norm. And when the earth was created, that was a norm. It is every one of us who are the broken rebels going against God at every turn. So that weekend, we would go back into this uh, dorm room, and I, I I would give all the reasons why the guy was wrong about the way he framed his message. Every message was about how Jesus was a rebel, and you should be a rebel too. And we would go back into the dorm and I'd say, Jesus is absolutely not a rebel and you should also not be a rebel too. Then we go again on the morning message. Jesus was a rebel and you should be a rebel too. We come back and Jesus is not a rebel and you should not be a rebel too. If I went on that same retreat today, I would be a whole lot more chill. I'm going to be honest. I'd be a whole lot more chill than I was at that time. Why? Because I understand in the world turned upside down, Jesus looks like a rebel. Let's try to look at Jesus from God's vantage point. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Why was he well pleased? 
because he spoke only the words the Father gave him, he did every deed the Father told him to do. That's why the Father was pleased. So I want to tell you, I want to tell you, if we really begin to live as fruitful disciples in fellowship with the living God through Jesus, and he is truly the leader of our life, when he's the Lord and leader of our life, we will look not only rebellious to our culture, but you'll begin to look rebellious to your own self. You'll begin to do things God's way, and you'll say, wait, I've always done it this way. And he'll go, well, that was always wrong. <laughs> you, you've always been doing this wrong, so now come and do it with me and do it right, even if it looks wrong to you. And so tonight, the subject of a fruitful disciple is Christ-likeness. And it's one of those passages we're going to start with where Jesus does things heaven's way and the establishment goes, who do you think you are? If we do things heaven's way, the world around us will say, who do you think you are? And our answer should be a child of the living king. That's who I am. Let's start tonight by looking at Luke chapter number 5, verses 27 and following. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he, he being Levi, rose and followed Jesus. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, as we open your word, you're going to have to open us. Holy Spirit, be unto us as a can opener. And break through our hard spots and break through to us move and work in us that we can receive your word in the realm of understanding. Help us understand it, but also in the realm of affections. Help us love what you say better than what anybody else says. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. Let's go back to kind of an opening thing from the introduction two weeks ago, and let's, let's recover some ground using Luke chapter 5 this time. Here's the first, here's the first point tonight on Christ's likeness. We follow Jesus to learn from him. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. I, um, my, favorite, my favorite guy the whole time I was in the service was at first my platoon sergeant in basic tra training, and then later on he and I served together in a unit. And his, his name was Sergeant Holbrook, and he was from South Dakota. And this is the way he always talked to everybody. Men! Like his voice was always about to get out, give out. Men! Or a gentleman, he never cursed at us, which is very unusual in the army. If he was in the service, you know that. And he would always explain things. And like if he, if he, if he were punishing Carson, if he were punishing you right now, say in basic training because let's just say you look like a mess, and that's enough to get you in punishment. You know, oh, Tuck, what's wrong with you? Men, we don't look like this. We square ourselves away. Tuck, give me 25 push-ups. You drop, and this is exactly what we do. He'd drop and do all 25 with you. And he might move on to the next person. And he might say, Shipley, what's your problem today? Do you not know how to shine your boots? Give me 25. And he'd, and he'd just do push-ups all day long. Every other drill sergeant would say, yeah, you give me 20. Good job. 
Every other drill sergeant was yelling at us, cursing at us. And I always noticed Sergeant Holbrook pointed like this. <laughs> he was the one guy who, who, could, who could legitimately point like this because he'd do something and then take the punishment with you. I love, I love this guy. I love this guy. He gave us a leadership. He would, every, every day he would give us a leadership principle. And he'd go, men, here's your leadership principle for the day. And whatever it might be. My favorite one was never tell someone to do what you're not willing to do with or in front of them. Now, imagine in the military, if a guy's got that sort of theory, and he's telling you to go knowingly into a hail of gunfire. All right? He's not telling you, y'all go ahead, and I'll see y'all when you get back, if you get back. He's the kind of guy who says, let's go do this. So I feel like I got some of the most awesome instruction from this, from this particular guy. He was a Vietnam vet. He had been drafted. He had gone to combat. He came home. He finished his draftee enlistment and then volunteered and went back and did another tour. Came back, used his GI Bill, went to college and got a master's in psychology and joined back up into the Army voluntarily again because he wanted to train men who had to face difficult situations not only on how to handle it with their, with their bodies but how to handle it with their minds and with their hearts and with their spirits. He was a fantastic human being. I'll never forget him as long as I live. And I never think about how Jesus led without understanding that's who was leading Sergeant Holbrook. He taught me a lot about the Lord. Very faithful guy. If you've ever heard me say, don't just wear your cross, bear your cross, that was a leadership principle. Men, here's your leadership principle. Don't just wear a cross, bear a cross. And if you're wearing it without bearing it, take it off and store it away until you learn how to bear it. Sergeant Holbrook. Here's what Jesus does. He comes into our world and he says, you can't even handle sin. So what I'll do is handle it for you. And you don't know how to do life, so let me show you how to do life. You can't handle sin. You know, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. You think you can pay for your sin? You think you can be good enough to, to, to walk with God? Not, number one, you don't even have a reference for what good is because everything's distorted. So let me show you good. Let me pay the penalty for sin. And here's what else I'll do. You don't even know how to live, so let me show you how to live. I don't know if anybody here feels like, feels like this, but this is exactly how I felt when I came to the Lord. I knew a lot that I did not want to do, but I absolutely did not know what to do. I, I, was, I was an infant in God's hands. I was like, God, I know a lot of not to do. I just don't know much of what to do. So I took following Jesus very seriously. I'll never forget in our home church, we had a lot of business meetings in my home church. Every time I turned around, I was having a business meeting. And I'd be sitting in a business meeting, and they would ask these questions. And I'm literally sitting here like this, you know, like, what is the answer to this question? Where is it at in the textbook? And what bothered me is they didn't use the textbook a lot. So they, and I knew not to answer questions just out of my wisdom. I knew I needed God's answers. So here you find... Here you find Levi, Levi, Matthew, without getting a lot into his vocation, let's just trust me, you do your own homework on this if you want to, people didn't like him, he worked for the, the controlling government, he worked for the Romans, he collected taxes, and that's not a bad job, I like paved roads, I like subsidized gallons of milk, I, I like that fire trucks come by when things are on fire, I don't mind paying taxes, 
But what this guy, and what was very common among people who had that job, is they would abuse their power for self-gain. And so a lot of people didn't like tax collectors. If they didn't like them for working for Rome, they didn't like them doubly for working for Rome and for themselves. But what's Jesus do? Jesus walks up to them and goes, hey, start following me so I can show you how to really live. That's the promise. If you guys remember from Matthew chapter 4, this, this uh, another time where Jesus calls some guys, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I showed you this Greek contraction a couple of weeks ago, poeso, I will make you. I think it's important to remember this a lot of the times. When Jesus calls you, y'all ready? This might be revolutionary for somebody. When Jesus calls you, he already knows you don't know have a clue of how to do this. You don't have a clue how to live the power-filled, holy life that God calls you to. You don't know nothing. That's a double negative for emphasis sake. You don't know nothing. I mean, and what you think you know, you don't know it to the degree he knows it. Like you say, I know not to steal, right? But he knows it to the degree that he only always gives. What you know positive to do, let me do something nice. He takes it to the point of the cross. So what you do know, you don't know it to the degree he knows it. So we just don't know life. We don't know life. And here's what Jesus says. He says, I see you over there. You all messed up. Just come follow me, and I'm going to make you into something. I'm going to put the onus of the labor on me. And here's how this is going to work. I'm going to show you what's good. I'm going to switch up your affections so that you begin to love what's good. Then I'm going to give you the power to pursue what's good until you're doing good with me. That's how it works. You want to know how the other side of it works? The Apostle James explains it. He's like, oh, so you got this desire in you, Carson, you know? You got this desire. And this desire is kind of ripe for anything to fulfill it. So what comes along is some temptation, and the temptation could be from the Lord to join that desire with him and do something good. But what do we usually do? That desire meets a foul temptation, a temptation from the evil one. Like, let's say, for example, I bet my bottom dollar that a great many of the men and women in here, when you were young men and women, fail for this very thing I'm going to illustrate. Everybody should have a desire in you to be loved and accepted. Amen? Right? And uh, God, God, God would like all of us to fulfill that in a holy and good and helpful and heavenly way. But some of us, we start looking at that, I want to be loved, and when we're young, we equate that to things that later on we learn wasn't love at all. Or that wasn't done in love. Or that person didn't act in love. So suddenly, the desire, which wasn't bad in and of itself, was tempted with something that was bad. And this is how James describes it. They get together, and they, have, they, get, they sort of have a relationship. And together, they have a little baby. And that little baby is called sin. And sin grows up. And guess what he becomes when he grows up? Death. So this thing, this desire that could even be good in its root, grows up to become the thing that pulls you away from God. Or what about the person who just wants to be liked? I mean, I think this is something that, that, that young people face every day, all day long, and adults do too until we learn to ignore people. We want to be liked, and so we'll say and do things just to fit in. Or we'll refrain from doing things because we're afraid we won't fit in. 
And what happens a lot of times is this desire, which can be sort of neutral in its root, gets with something that's bad, and they get together and they have a little kid. What's that little kid's name? Sin. Somebody's listening. And that, and that sin grows up and becomes. And suddenly that death means you're away from God who is himself life. You see how that works? So here's what God says. God says, oh, man. I see y'all down there. I know every one of you is broken. I know every one of you is filled with desires. I know every one of you have fallen into multiple traps. You've had multiple relationships with bad temptations. You've got kids all over the place. Some of them are just infantile sin, and some of them are full-grown deaf. When I was singing that song, Break Every Chain, I was just seeing all these relationships I've had with foul temptation. And I've been chained to all these lovers. Where I've had a, a desire that in and of itself wasn't bad, but it met with a temptation that was bad. And I've, I've linked myself with all these horrible lovers. And we bore offspring that has kept me from the living God, pulls me away from the living. Do you see how this works? Now you go, <laughs> it's easy to sit back. I would never take nobody's taxes. I would never cheat nobody. I hate people like Matthew. But when I look at Matthew, I just see myself. I'm not collecting taxes, but I have, I have collected a jar of hearts, and uh, death grew up with it. I have collected heaping loads of pride, and death grew up with it. I have been selfish in many areas of my life, and death grew up with it. So suddenly, I don't see Matthew as somebody who's irredeemable. I see myself crying out from the tax collector's booth saying, I sure wish someone could break this chain. And I absolutely know that I don't know what to do. And I really need to follow Jesus to learn what to think, what to say. I even need Jesus to tell me how I ought to feel. I mean, I know how I feel, right? <laughs> I feel pretty, oh so pretty. I know how I feel, right? I know how I feel. But I know I a lot of times don't feel the way I ought to feel. I don't think the way I ought to think. I don't say what I ought to say. I got this bad stuff down pat. What I want is this God who says, follow me, and I will totally reconstruct you into something different. I'm on board for that. I would hazard to say that if you've never gotten sick of you, You've never even met the edge of how much God wants to work in you. Because until you're sick of some part of yourself or all of yourself, you don't say, somebody come in here and remodel this. <laughs> somebody come in here and tear this mess down. I, I told Robert right before service, we were just chatting about Lowe's. And I told him, I don't go to Lowe's. I don't go, man. Because I go to Lowe's, I start thinking about things in my house I want to remodel. And when I start thinking about things I want to remodel, I think about money I don't have. And I start thinking of ways I could, I could earn extra money. Like, I, you know, picking up cans rolling yarn for knitters. I mean, there's all these opportunities to make tons of money. Right? So, Robert, what's the best thing to do? Stay out of Lowe's. If I stay out of Lowe's, I'm suddenly not at all worried about what kind of floor is in my you know, bedroom. Right? But if I go in Lowe's, I say, oh, look at this flooring. That would look great in my bedroom. Well, that's why some people stay away from church, why some people stay out of the Scriptures. Because they know that the, that the chain breaker, the remodeler of your soul is going to say, I see you, and I want to go to work. And I'm going to totally tear all that mess down, 
And in the end, you're going to love it, but just right now, you're scared to death. It's so it's amazing when Matthew goes, I'll go. It's not amazing that he left the stuff to me. It's, not, it's amazing that Jesus came and showed him something better. It's not amazing that he left something. It's amazing that God came to him and offered him something. So, make following Jesus something that's involved in every day, all day of your life. Secondly, secondly, and hugely, divine power uses every single thing and circumstance in our lives to shape us into the image of Jesus. Once you're in a covenant relationship with Jesus, okay, once you're there, there's no going back. He's going to work on every area of your life for as long as you live until, until we're standing in heaven and he glorifies every part of our life. He's just going to go, go to work on it. Excuse me. Tomorrow, I think, Clay, you come to my house, right? All right? And so I'm already thinking ahead. Whatever I'm going to do on the countertop at my house, I better do it in the morning before Clay gets there. Because it's going to reach a point of no return pretty quick tomorrow, right? Our countertop is bowed up, messed up. Clay's going to rip that bad boy out. And in a couple days, there's going to be a new countertop there, right? And so I'm already thinking ahead. Like, whatever I'm going to do, I better go do it. I better go do it. Because when Clay gets a hold to it, until it's complete, it's in process. That's one of the things that scares you about walking with Jesus. Right? But think about it like this. We're already dead in our trespasses and sin. And we come into covenant relationship with God. He takes a thing that has no hope and puts it under construction. What would you rather be? No hope or under construction? I'd rather be under construction. So I go to this passage right here. Romans 8. Very famous. Often partly quoted. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 to 30. And we know that, those, that for those who love God... All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, hang on for a second. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Everybody who comes to God in Jesus Christ. And the only way to come, God, come to God is in Jesus Christ. If you hadn't come to God in Jesus Christ, you hadn't come to God. Everybody that comes to God in Jesus Christ, he is saying, no matter what happens in your life, no matter who comes against you, no matter what the devil does, I'm going to put all that mess together and I'm going to shape you into the image of Jesus. Wow! Am I the only one that excites? So around here, I mean, this is not to shame you, don't worry. Who's not from around here? Who's not from around here originally? Okay. And I mean like not from all around here. I know Larry, Annie, you guys are from, we were talking about this yesterday, Larry, this stew thing we do. Do y'all know not everybody cooks Brunswick stews? Do y'all know that some people think it, it looks like vomit in a pot? <laughs> Don't ever raise your hand again, sir. I'm offended. No, I'm just, right? Right? And some people can't even get over how it looks. They're like, uh-uh. And, and, you know, like, there's all sorts of recipes for it. Like, I don't know. We dropped by a local church that was making one yesterday, and they had thrown. <clears throat> wait a minute. Who, who here ate some of that stew? I know me and Dale, Larry. I don't know who else. <clears throat> they had thrown incredible amounts of fat into it. 
Yeah, and it was just, they were staring, and you just saw these huge humps. And, and, I, and I started doing my thank God I'm a Gentile dance because it was hog fat. And I said, who says God? Don't, don't watch yourself, lady. I just knew that magic was being bowled into that pot. I just knew it. I knew it. And then they, they, brought it, they brought it down there to us. They brought it to us where we were working out in Virgilana. Larry said it was too hot for him, right? But me and Dale said, we, he, he was like, uh, you know, the baby bear. Oh, the porridge is too hot. <laughs> but but <laughs> me, me and Dale were like, Papa Bear, oh, it's just right. I mean. <laughs> but if you've ever seen stew being cooked, it just looks like vomit. It's so good. <laughs> but it's, it, especially before they put the tomatoes in it and it's all sort of gray. It is. If you, I don't care how you, what, what's your recipe, it's gray at some point. It just looks terrible. And then they come and they start throwing sugar and cayenne pepper and they put those tomatoes in it and it's suddenly, you know, it's like when someone looks pale like they're getting ready to die and then their color comes back. That's what it looks like. Are you dying? Yes. Well, here, here's some mouth to mouth. Oh, you look a whole lot better. Most calamari is pig bung. You're welcome. You would? Yeah. I'm going to eat it. But, but do you know, like to most of us, our life just looks, eh. But the Father is, is just bringing it all together, and it's going to be delightful. You don't like the new analogy? Use Ravi Zacharias' analogy. Our Father is the grand weaver. And you look at the backside of a weaving, and it looks like a mess. You look at the front, it's just beautiful art. He's going to bring it all together, and it's going to be tasty, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be something to, that, that, that not only the world can consume, but it will be pleasing to the Lord. And he's going to use all this mess. The, the people in your lives that have abused you, misused you, overlooked you, took you for granted, the situations that you've put yourself in, the stuff where your, sin, your own sin has straight up broke you down and, and, and knocked you out of the game. The Father is going to keep stirring and working and weaving until you are the grandest, most tasty masterpiece of them all. He's not going to quit until you're just like Jesus. And Jesus is the best. He's the best, y'all. Like, if you want to start an argument, right, if you want to start an argument with young guys under the age of, let's say from, from 29 to 14, just, just find a bunch of basketball players' pictures and put it on social media and say, which one do you think is best? Right? And, and somebody will say, Kobe! And somebody will say, Michael Jordan! And th- that, see, that's subjective. Right? But Jesus is the best. He's the best. And that's God's plan for you. Who needed to hear that tonight? Who needed to be reminded? That's God's plan for you. And he's not, and you look at your life and you're like, man, I'm a mess. You sure are. I know most of y'all. You are. (laughs) Guess what? I'm a hot mess. (laughs) Really, I am. It's hot up here. But what's God going to do, guys? For those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, what's he going to do? He's going to make you just like Jesus. If that don't get you fired up, man, something's wrong with you. 
And right now, where you're just steady messing things up, you're failing sometimes because of your weakness, you're failing sometimes because of your, your desires are getting with the wrong stuff, God's like, I got you, I'm not going to let you go. Oh no, you never let go, through the calm, through the storm, amen? You can't outdo him and you don't have a plan near as good as his. John, I was thinking about you this week. I'm going to tell you business. I can't outrun you, but I'm depending on Blair to save me. John started a new job this week. A lot of driving, right, John? And I was like, man, it's a huge adjustment. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm prepping this sermon. I keep praying for you. And I'm thinking, God, somehow, right, John is just like, this is a lot of miles. This is a lot of time away from my family. God, could you begin to give him some notion of how you're using this difficult transition in his life, how you're shaping him to the image of Jesus? Could you just begin to give John some shape in that, you know? I, I, I started thinking about you guys one by one and stuff I know you're going through, and I started praying for you. God, God I, I, I see it, and I know where it's going, but it's hard to see that point in between. What are you doing from, like, I see this difficulty my, my, my beloved brothers and sisters are facing, and I see where this is going, but that part in between is really great of me. It's really, it's, it lives in the shadow land of me. It's outside of my knowledge. I started praying. You know, I thought about Eric and Josh. They're out there in the brave world of fostering. Not everybody has a heart for it. You know, I don't know if I have the heart for it, to tell you the truth. I mean, you, you got to love something. Like, if it's zero to 100, you got to love 120 and know that it's going to go away from you at some point. And you're going to have to love it from afar. So that's just like crazy. That's like, God, it's so much uncertainty in their life. But I know where this is going. You're using it to shape them into the image of Jesus. Right? I thought about situations in a lot of you guys' life, and I said, God, I know where this is going. I know where it's at. I know where it's going. And I don't know what's in between. So I'm taking comfort in knowing where it's going. Guys, I just want you to see this is what God is doing in the life of believers. So what does he do first? He justifies you. In other words, he makes you right in his sight. In other words, you ain't right. But he says, I'm going to call you right. You know, you ain't right, but I'm going to call you right. Then he goes to work on us so that at one point we'll go from justified to glorified. In other words, from the point where he calls you right, he ain't going to quit until you all the way right. Until you just like Jesus. Now, I see the time has already slipped away. Consider the story of Joseph real quick. You know what his, what his, what his folks done to him. It was crazy. And, you know, they... They sold him into slavery, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He, he goes off into slavery. He's doing a great job. Somebody double-crosses him. He goes to jail. Somebody forgets about him in jail. Humans do him wrong over and over again. And God, God doesn't deliver Joseph at the point of the trouble, but he delivers him out of the trouble. In other words, he stays in that for stuff for a while. He suffers and suffers and suffers and suffers and suffers. Joseph's life story is like one of this one where we like, oh, man, God got him out of that pit and gave him a job. Oh, he went to that jail. God got him out of that job and raised him up. We love the victory side, but do you know it's years. He stays for years in these situations. So by the end of his life, he's actually been used of God to physically save his family from famine. This is the same family that done, done him dirty, y'all. Right? Then his daddy dies and his brothers are concerned. They're like, oh boy, daddy dead. Rut row. 
Joseph's going to drop the hammer on us now. The only reason Joseph's been behaving this way is because of daddy. So they go to him and they say, look, man, daddy said, <laughs> daddy said don't act like this. Daddy said don't do nothing to us. But the thing was, in this whole process, the perspective of Joseph had completely been changed by God. So as we get to Genesis chapter number 50 and verse number 20, he says, listen, I get it. What y'all meant for evil, right? And you totally meant it for evil. You were watching out for yourselves. You were selfish. You were hateful. I get it. But what was God doing? God meant this for good. God meant it for good. So let me give y'all a powerful principle. And we'll move. It won't seem like it, but we're going to move headlong toward a close. We have to stop asking people, what are you trying to do? And we've got to start affirming before the Lord, I know you're going to use this. We've got to stop letting people have control over our contentment and start seeing that it doesn't. Listen, listen, listen. Though you slay me, is what Job would say, though you slay me, yet shall I live again. But my redeemer, he says, listen, this might even kill me. But God's got a reason behind it all. We got to start, start asking, like, God, I, I see, li listen, Lord, I know you're shaping me into the image of Jesus. So it's not, hey, what are you doing to me? It's, God, how are you going to use this? And that switches us from the doom of depressing despair into the edge of hope. God, this hurts, but you're going to use it. God, this stinks. You're going to use it. God, this is wrong, but you're going to use it. I, I'm standing here in the muck, in the mire, in the pain, in the hurt, and I know where this is going. I don't know how I'm going to get from here to here, but by Jingy, it's good to know where this is going. It's good to know this throw-up is going to be stew. And in other words, the reality doesn't change, but your understanding of it is radically transformed. And a fruitful disciple starts to say, like, it ain't what the world's doing to me. It's not what my boss is doing to me. It's not what so-and-so is doing to me. It's what is God doing through all this mess. He's going to make me like Jesus. One day, I really want to walk through a series. I've never shared it with anybody. I reference it a lot, but I've written it. I want to walk through a series called Violent Discipleship. If you just think about some of the images of discipleship, all of them are painful. Pruning, refining, sharpening. You ever thought about sharpening? You sharpen something, you, you know, you, you, iron sharpens iron. On the one hand, it makes one edge cut like a razor, but it makes one surface smooth to hold. You ever thought about the friction in your life? God is using it to make you an incisive tool and a smooth stone all at once. One for his hand to enjoy his fellowship, one for his hand to use in a world of hurt. All these images are difficult, but they're all necessary. So let me close with a case study, a super quick case study. I'm more than anything, I want to read this passage and make three observations. Philippians chapter 3, I put it on the screen, you can follow along, I'm going to read it really fast. Beginning at verse 1, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I include this verse because he's saying, I've got to remind us of all the things we already know over and over again. Everybody in this room knows God is shaping you to the image of Jesus. Almost everybody. Most everybody knows it. But don't we need to hear it over and over again? Okay, verse 2. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We know we can't do this. Verse 4, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have what church? Suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. Rubbish. In order to do what? Gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Observation number one, Paul desired to know God at all costs. He stopped seeing the stuff in his life is what made him somebody and important and able, and he started to see it as junk compared to what God could do in him and through him and for him. It's not that it was junk, it was junk in comparison. Second part of the case study. Picking it up at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am ready, already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's saying, I'm not telling y'all I'm perfect. I'm telling y'all the very reason I cling to Christ is because I'm not perfect. The very reason I keep moving forward is because I see where this is going. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Hallelujah. One thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You ready for this, church? Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, if in any subject matter, any area of your life you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You know why? Because you're in process. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Every area where he's revealed truth to you, hold on to that, and he's bringing some other stuff up with it. Observation number two. Paul desired to serve God in all circumstances. He wanted to know God no matter what. He wanted to serve God no matter what because he could finally see, where is this going? Where is this whole dying to my flesh thing going? Where is this whole suffering with Christ thing going? I am going to have fellowship with the Father, sit at his table, be, be the bride of the Son. I am going to be loved and forever be in his presence through eternity. And you know what? I'm not going to be this mess when I'm there. I'm going to be made just like Jesus. I get where this is going. I don't want to miss a thing. Whew. And finally, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is, is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You, you see that, he, he's giving you another end. There's this one end, you're going to end up being just like Christ, and you're going to be with God forever. 
Woo! Then there's this other end. Destruction. So he closes this chapter like this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, in other words, we're down here laboring. We're down here becoming more like Jesus. We're down here under the hand of violent discipleship. We're down here being conformed. But we're already also sitting in heaven already. It's a sure deal. In Christ, it's a sure deal. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from our citizenship, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Do you know why we keep spinning around the sun? Because he's upholding the world by the word of his power. And that same power that keeps galaxies in fluid motion while also keeping them at the appropriate distance from each other. The same power that makes the right level of oxygen. The same power that keeps the chemicals in your eyes from making you go blind. The same power that makes the sun sit still and every planet spin around. That same power is at work to make you into the image of Jesus. He didn't contract it out. Observation number three. Paul knew Christ would be victorious over and through every circumstance. He could see. He said, man, I see where this is going. When God calls you, or called you, it's past tense. When he calls you to walk with him, he already saw that you couldn't do this. Yes. God looks at you, he says, you're a mess. But you my mess. You know, I got, I got a big mouth. I'm always talking junk. People are always talking junk to me. And people will walk up and, you know, they try to do that thing where they, they pick on me by saying something to care. They'll say like, uh, how you put up with him? She's like, I love him. She never plays that game, right? And it wouldn't bother me if she did. She just don't. She gets serious. She's like, no, he, he mine. Shoot. Yeah, ain't he always running his mouth? No, he's good. He's all right. Right? See, your flesh, the enemy, your circumstances, your experience, the loads of failure you've been on, it's, it's all those people walking up to Jesus going, how you put up with that mess? Oh, he's mine. She's mine. I, lo- I love her. I love him. I mean, you know, we, we're covenanted together. We're each other's. Jesus, that's how I know my... You know, one of the many ways I know my wife loves the Lord. She don't play that mess. You know, no, Tim's mine. I mean, he's a mess, but he's mine. God's looking at the people that are his in Christ Jesus. Goes, oh, Michaela, she's a hot mess. And when the devil comes and goes, did you see that Jesus? He, yeah, I saw it. I ain't done with him. She's mine. He's looking at Casey. Just look at that, Casey. And the devil will tell the truth on you, too, like, I've got this and this, and Casey did that, and he said this, and he thought this, and he was timid over here. And I know, but he's mine. He's mine. And I'm not going to let up until he's just like me. That, that's what I'm doing. Right? I want you guys to see where this is all going. If you're a disciple of Jesus, he wants you to bear fruit, and he's not going to let go of you. Even some days you let go of him, he ain't going to let go of you. Right? He ain't going to let go of you. 
Andrew, I, don't, I, I rarely ever tell you what to sing, but I almost paid you not to sing whole fast. Just for me. You know, just for me. Because I don't got this. But he's got me. Carolyn, you don't got it, girl. But he's got you. You know what I'm saying? Grace, you don't got it. But he's got you. And this is where all this is going. And we see the mess we're in today, and we feel this promise, and it feels dark between here. But you just keep your eyes on that part that's lit up. And one day we'll stand in We'll stand with God and we'll go, oh, so that's how you did that, huh? I didn't see that one coming. It all looked like throw up to me. And now we're eating stew. We're eating rainbow stew from a silver spoon underneath a sky blue. We'll all be drinking that free bubble up and eating that rainbow stew. Yes, I did just quote Merle Haggard in my sermon. I have an invitation to you believers. Maybe you do it in your seat. Maybe you'll sit in your car. Maybe you wait till you get home. Maybe you need to come and just kneel down here, right? I want you to just put out that list of all the stuff that ain't right right now. You know it's not. Stuff in you, you know it ain't right in you. Stuff that's not right around you. And I want you to sit it beside, set, put it, beside the lighted part of what we know. In Christ Jesus, you're going to be just like Jesus. I don't know how this is going to get there, but I know that's what he's doing. I have another invitation. This is what God's inviting you into. This is the true prosperity gospel. That you will get all the riches of heaven along with Jesus. That's the true prosperity gospel. You will be just as prosperous in eternity as Jesus is. Whoa. That's what he's offering you. He's offering you freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, and the promise to stick with your messy behind until you're just like his son. And what does he say you do to get into this? You believe in his heart. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. You believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and all he means and you let him be the boss of your life, and you'll be adopted into the family of God. And once you're in, he ain't going to let go. He's going to use all the mess in your past, all the struggles you're facing, and the things you can't even see, and he's going to bring it all together, and you're going to be just like Jesus. That's the promise of the gospel. Father, as we sing, for us, Father, for us, we don't want to use smoke and mirrors. We don't want to beat people over the head and we don't want to make false promises. We believe that we have a gospel problem and that there's a gospel solution. And it starts with us ending our rebellion and just inviting you to be the Lord of our lives. Accepting your holy payment for our sin, receiving you as the Lord of our life. Only you could know the things that people need victory over in this room. Only you know who needs encouragement, who needs repentance. Only you know who's out of fellowship with you or who's never been in fellowship with you. So Holy Spirit, work as only you can. Put us at the foot of the cross, each and every one of us.
In Jesus I pray. Amen.